Hello and welcome back to the men's room. Thank you very much for joining us. As always, make sure to follow us on Instagram at Real Men's Room, also on Twitter. Uh, we're on Twitter as well, at Real Men's Room for that. And make sure if you're listening to us on YouTube to hit that subscribe button. Today we are bringing you our very first Unsolved Mysteries video. And as always, I'm joined by the brilliant Adam Brown. Hello. And the amazing Zach Warrett. Hello. So lads, we are starting, we're kicking off. This is sort of a little bit of your idea, Adam, if you want to introduce what this series is going to be. Yeah, um, so the idea of this series, I think we've spoken about it a few times on the men's room, is that there's been certain episodes where we've covered certain conspiracy theories and we've sort of blurred the lines in certain ways. Because I think with our conspiracy episodes, obviously we're trying to summarise these, these incredible sort of quite spooky instances and out there ish yeah they're very far out and very unusual and we're trying to summarize them in maybe like 20 minutes but so many of them are deserving of more time and attention and we were sort of i think looking at the idea of looking at some of the, the sort of like classic unsolved mysteries that exist in the world as a sort of offshoot of what we were doing with conspiracies um and then obviously in this last week one of the biggest recent mysteries, obviously that of Madeleine McCann, has suddenly resurged in the news because 2020 wasn't fucking weird enough. <laughs> so we've we've been sort of thrown something here where I think it would be amiss almost not to talk about it. Definitely, yeah. Mm. Well, th this obviously we are talking about the disappearance of Madeleine McCann. This is the biggest missing persons case in terms of attention, in terms of money thrown into it and also the lack of any evidence whatsoever any solid <laughs> evidence whatsoever hmm. it is really a mad story isn't it do you know do you actually remember where you was or not where you was but do you remember actually hearing about this when you, <laughs> I was uh, in Portugal, when you were younger <laughs> yeah i was in a band <laughs> oh no we shouldn't joke but maybe we're five minutes in we're no. all cracking jokes no, we don't mean to joke about it, but no, I don't, because we were young, weren't we? The three of us, I think we were about nine or ten years old. I would have, I would have been eight. I yeah, think. we would have been eight. Seven. But I, I, do, I do vaguely remember it all going down and how uh, hectic it all was. Yeah, I, remember, I definitely remember the front page and, and thinking, Jesus. Yeah, I think the media is what we all remember, the absolute mm -hmm. frenzy. 100%. For sure. I remember it being all over the TV, on the news. Because I think, like people say about like 9-11 and the amount that that was on the tv yeah i was too young to remember that really mm -hmm. yeah. like Same. i was i was like two so i don't really recall it but with madeline mccann i do have a clearer recollection of that being all over the telly and sort of for weeks media exposure. not even weeks like you know that was going on for for, for years like mm. over a In decade Point. Yeah, like, just a little interesting um, statistic that I found I'm doing a bit of research in this. There's a quarter of a million missing children reports every year in Europe alone, mm. and this is one that has captivated for for 13 years now. It has captivated, as you say, the media and the conversation still around it. Um, so let's sort of go into what happened for anyone listening. Just one second, Ronnie. Shush. Fuck's <laughs> sake. He did know that's, that's um, staying in. smuggling the Cray twins at his house. <laughs> and Ronnie is totally schizophrenic. 
thinks he's a dog. Oh. Fucking hell, Ronnie. Uh, I haven't done anything wrong. Fuck off. All the time you're talking there, I was just... <laughs> like I'm going to attack him. So yeah, I think before we get into anything else about the case, we do need to talk about what actually happened uh, for anyone that doesn't know the whole circumstances, know the, the thing that happened. So the McCann family were on holiday in Praia de Luz in Portugal, a little seaside town, resort town. Uh, very, very popular. I've been there as a child, actually, similar oh, When I was the same age as Madeline, I think, around like two or three, I was actually... Fuck off. Yeah, I've been there with my parents. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So it's a real popular resort for British families. Uh, the McCann family made up of Jerry McCann, Kate McCann, mum and dad, Madeline McCann, the eldest daughter, three years old, and then uh, Emily and Sean, twins. They were about 18 months at the time. Mm. And it was, a, it was a middle-class kind of holiday. It was on a resort. It was an all-inclusive. The two parents very well off, um, highly regarded. One was a GP. One was a consultant cardiologist. So very well off. And it was a middle-class kind of family. The children were left on their own while parents went out to dinner each night at the Tapas restaurant. Uh, the Tapas restaurant was on the apartment complex, only about 50 metres as the crow flies away from the McCann's apartment. This uh, group of friends has now collectively become the Tapas Nine. Um, the, the Tapas Nine is now made up of, I'll, I'll get the names out there, so if we reference them, people know who we're talking about. Uh, so the Tapas mm. Nine is made up of Jerry McCann, Kate McCann, David Payne, Fiona Payne, Jane Tanner, Russell O'Brien, Matthew Oldfield, Rachel Oldfield, and Diana Webster. On May the 3rd, 2007, at around 10pm, three-year-old daughter Madeline McCann went missing. About 30 minutes to an hour later, it was reported to the hotel, uh, who reported it to the police. Uh, and as we've said, it was an international media frenzy from day one. Mm. By 7am the next day, which was only nine hours later, the British media were already reporting it. I think no. how early they started reporting it is a bit weird. I mean, surely uh, there's so many missing child cases every year for people from children from the UK or from all around the world. I, I don't know why this one was so big so quickly within about an hour and a half it seemed like i think it was a combination of factors between that it was a a little british girl yeah and in another country in another country middle class sort of family and it was just without a trace i suppose Mm. i can i can understand why if like if i was a parent why you would jump straight to the media because you want oh yeah you want maximum coverage i think that's often the problem because you you know you hear about these these missing children cases but a lot of the time you don't hear about them at all and it's like they just sort of for for want of a better word they just get sort of buried like mm-hmm. you you lose sight of them quite quickly and with madeline it was it became almost iconic and i think that was actually quite a, a well that was quite a, a good move because i think you could go to most countries show that picture sort of the iconic one of her sort of looking into the camera yeah. and you can see her, her eye and everything and i think 
you know, probably about, I'd say eight out of 10 people would identify who that is. They'd be like, oh yeah, that, that's Marilyn McCann. She's that kid who went missing. Like, mm. I get why you would go down the media storm route, but I think the, the amount of attention it got was unprecedented, even if you were trying to do that. Yeah. Every single eye in the media was at Pride to lose the, the, the day after. Mm. Yeah. Like they were, they were, there must have been like 100, 200 reporters right outside the uh, apartment the morning after. I remember, I remember um, when they walked out for their, uh, their first, their first um, press conference. Press conference, that's yeah, it, yeah. Right in your head. Mm-hmm. And there were just so many cameras weren't there and so many reporters the um the netflix documentary captured um a lot of that very well i don't know if you've you've watched it the two of you but um, yeah i watched it when it first came out it's yeah, brilliant it, i think it does a good job of uh, treading the line and oh 100%. So it gives you a real good perspective of it because it each time it's like 10 days in 100 days later 200 days it gives you a real time frame of events and um yeah it's really worth watching uh mm. so go on that was one of the best things about that documentary is it does it gives you a real good it, idea it brilliantly story. grounds you into the timing of that investigation yeah oh and it goes into a lot of detail as well how it's a lot of episodes isn't it it does there's, drag there's about eight hours yeah and mm. um yeah there's a few <laughs> a few episodes where it, it basically turns into a bit of a travel show about <laughs> to lose it just tells you the history <laughs> of the area but i don't know it's really worth watching um mm. we'll put a link in it below or something so yeah my first point in this is that i want to talk about the initial story that came out um about mm. the disappearance uh so i've got a few accounts here so trish cameron which was jerry's sister uh so madeline's aunt she said that she it was one of the very first reports uh on bbc news she received a telephone call from Jerry, who was hysterical and crying his eyes out, uh, quoting, saying, they last checked at 9.30 uh, and all the kids were sound asleep. Windows shut, shutters shut. Kate went back to t- at 10 p.m. to check, but the front door was lying open, window tampered with, and shutters jemmied, and Madeline was missing. Brian O'Leary, Kate's dad, said that Jerry told me that when they went back to the apartment, the shutters were broken, they had been jemmied up, and she was gone. Madeline's godfather, John Corner, Kate had phoned him in the middle of the night, and she just blurted out that Madeline had been abducted, and the shutters had been smashed, and Madeline was missing. It looked as though someone had gone straight past the twins to get her. Jill Renwick, a family friend, I believe, the Tapas Nine had been visiting the children every 30 minutes to check on them. The window had been broken and the shutters jemmied. My point with all of this is the initial account from the McCanns that was given to these four people and therefore told to the media was that there was a violent break-in with the shutters forced open with a jemmy. The front door had been locked but was now laying open and that Madeline had been abducted. However... Within 24 hours, that account changed. So Jerry McCann's very first witness statement made on the 4th of May, the day after, quoted saying, during the evening, uh, he and his wife had been checking on the children using a key to open the front door of their apartment. 
He explained how Kate discovered Madeline was missing on her 10 p.m. check and how he rushed to the apartment and found the windows to the children's room open, the shutters raised and the curtains drawn open. No mention of a door lying open. Kate, who was the one to raise the alarm, says the exact same as Jerry about the kids' room, quoted as saying the windows were open, shutters raised and curtains open adding that she was certain they were all closed when they left at 8.30 to go to the tapas restaurant. On top of that, the claim of the broken window, raised or jemmied shutter and uh, open window were thrown out completely by the Ocean Club manager, John Hill, who said that despite a claim from a family friend that the shutters were broken, there was no sign of any breaking whatsoever while the McCanns ate at the tapas restaurant. And later on, Jesus. Chief Inspector Oligaro Salsa, the spokesman for the investigation, he told British police that the window had not been tampered with, adding that the mechanism makes them almost impossible to open from the outside. My point with all of this is, within the first couple of days of the investigation, there was already this massive cloud of, so what, what happened? Why have we got four accounts to the British media having spoke four accounts from the McCanns that don't weigh up with actually what happened. Why? Mm. Mm. I think you've sort of hit the nail on the head of the biggest. I, th I think probably the thing that has made this case so intriguing is the, the, the sort of the greyness of the McCanns as, as people. Because I think a lot of people, at least from my experience, aren't particularly great fans of the McCanns. Like, and there's a lot of iffiness about them in the sense of their story or if they can be trusted. People sort of make these judgments on them where they're like, hmm, not sure if I like them. You know what I mean? Well, they're, they're not the most likeable people. I think we can say that and get... Whenever they're spoken to, they seem quite cold and very, you know, matter-of-fact, calculated... Um, mm. That might be due to the fact that we have known them since they've lost their three-year-old daughter. But yeah. you're quite right. There's always been this sort of... I don't think that, you know, given the circumstances around the missing child, it doesn't help that they're not the most likeable and they're not the most emotive people. Yeah, Pe that people don't really like like to trust them, which exactly. is probably why there's been so much of these theories thrown about, because... They're just unlikable people in terms of they probably would weren't likable before um, Maddie went missing. Right. So I could I could I could definitely see them because uh, they were they were attacked mm. for a long time after this. For sure. And whether it was justified or not, we'll never know. Mm. But uh, yeah, it was bloody horrible what they went through, it and then what they went through again with the media. For sure. I can't. I just can't help but feel sorry for them just a little bit. Yeah. Definitely. And then moving on to the, the 10th of May. So we're still within the, the they call it, like, I can't remember. Is the it golden it? hours. Golden hour of, mm -hmm. and that's my other point with this, is that with a missing child case, that first 72 hours is crucial. The most important. Them. Yeah, hmm. and to finding them and returning them safely. And the fact that we've got such a differing and sort of co like contrived and conflicting 
version of events everywhere we go. It's, so, it's, so a, a jemmied jaw, uh, a jemmied door. I don't. I've never heard the word jemmied before. It's like what with like a crowbar kind of yeah, jemmied open kind of thing. Like yeah. forced, forcibly opened up. Yeah, forced entry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Jesus. Um, so on the 10th of May, uh, the McCanns <coughs> gave their second statements to the police. And uh, despite Jerry making himself clear about the events, uh, as we've spoken about before, he now claimed that they left through, so they left their uh, check on the children. They left to go to the restaurant through the unlocked patio door. So the violent break-in now had been sort of proven false. Um, and then there was a documentary that came out in October 2007. It was the Dispatches documentary. And uh, Kate and Jerry made the formal admission that it would have been impossible for someone to break in via the window, snatch Maddie, and leave with no forensics trace. Mm. Wow. The documentary was really sceptical about the McCann's version of events. It sort of went in with a... It went, went in um, sceptically talking about it. And then actually days later, Clarence Mitchell, who was the spokesman for the McCann family, he made the statement reversing the original claims and statements made by friends and family members regarding an alleged break-in, saying that there was no evidence of a break-in. I won't go into detail, but I can say that Kate and Jerry are firmly of the view that someone went into the apartment and took Madeline out of the window as their means of escape. And to do that, they would not necessarily have to temper with anything. Now, they want you not only to forget what was said initially and forget the original statement, but now they want you to believe that an intruder walked in via an unlocked door, took Madeline, and then climbed out of the window as his means of escape. Mm. It's, it's always this kind of thing that is the sort of linchpin in an unsolved mystery. And what makes them so intriguing is the immediate lack of clarity. And this is full of that, where it's like, oh, they said this. Oh, but they actually said this. And, you know, because you've also got this, this media storm of, of so many people trying to report it and trying to report the, the latest information, all the reports get iffy and confusing and trying to find some sort of decisive A to sort of ABC sort of this happened and this happened and this happened, a proper timeline becomes almost impossible as people that as the McCanns do sort of report and say different things pretty much at the drop of a hat like every other time someone asks them they change their story they've, mm. they've, made, they've made it harder for themselves or they did make it harder for themselves from, exactly from, from, from and that's these. that's the weirdest thing about it is that you can look at this case and think how awful for the parents that now, you can be of the opinion that a child did go missing that night and they, the, their parents look guilty, but maybe they're just guilty of neglecting to properly look after their child and leaving them alone and to be kidnapped. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't help their case when you've been questioned and you've given one version of events and you've been questioned days later and given a totally different version of events. And then, hmm. you know, uh, there's a very popular article that goes around of the 40 odd questions that Kate McCann just didn't answer. Yeah. 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 So no comment to about 40 questions regarding. I think it was 48. 48, it was 48 questions. 
it's things like that that when you say adam that they're not the most likable people yeah they're not helping themselves you know these are no i can't really say it like that but you should be desperate to try and help find mm. your daughter yeah i think this is you've sort of hit something else there which is with the um conflicting stories there's multiple elements that could be to do with that it could be that you know in a in an intense situation uh, and for for a deeply traumatic situation i think that your brain can sort of spot things and misremember things and you, your brain can fill the gaps which maybe weren't necessarily there and i wonder potentially if the reason that their stories were so muddled is because they were still just trying to process it they were like oh my god someone must have broken they uh, the, they must have got in through the window. That must have been how they did it. And mm -hmm. then they sort of think about it. Oh, maybe they didn't. No, they must have. How else would they have got in? You can sort of see how... Oh, yeah, I can definitely see how that's possible. How they were just so, so, like, caught up in whatever at the time. They were just... Oh, they've taken her through the window. Oh, my God. Someone's broken in the window and taken her. Mm. Yeah. It's like stuff like that. It's like, I can definitely see what, what you mean you there. Yeah, you can read it as that. You can read it as they've perceived it as this one thing that their sort of their trauma has morphed it into something else. Or alternatively, you can see it as um, they're trying to create an atmosphere of confusion because they may or may not have had a greater <laughs> involvement than they're willing to admit, and they've exactly. gone, "Oh, it's um, the, oh, the scale is ridiculous." Oh, it's that like mm. it, it could be it could be um, all manner of things, and I think for a lot of people. I think it's difficult, especially if you're not a parent or, you know, like if you've not been in an environment like maybe if you've even, even if you've not had younger siblings, that kind of stuff, it's hard to put yourself in their shoes and imagine, right, I've had my child taken. And it's like, you, you sort of say, oh, I would handle it like this and that, but you, you don't know. It's such a, a horrific and hopefully a, a rare situation that you won't have to face that you, you can't really... You can't really frame it realistically and of yourself. No. It's, it's difficult to sort of put yourself... No one knows how to react when they lose their daughter. Like, even if you think you do, or if yeah. you think you, 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 your brain is wired to react well to something like that, yeah, you, you're never going to... You're never going to like replicate that feeling of what McCann's went through. Also, on top of that is that... And it leads into your point a little bit, Zach, in that mm -hmm. Kate and Jerry McCann had real issues with the police force in Portugal. And I think the, the police force in Portugal had issues with the McCann's as well. So, you know, we're, we're saying that it doesn't help their case that they, um, you know, come across as you know, negative or a bit cold. There was often language barriers, wasn't there? Huge language barriers. And I think that the, the PJ, the um, police judiciaria, mm -hmm. PJ went into it thinking, right, you've had something to do with this. And I think they butt heads very early on and that has led to a little bit of friction there when I, I think that that took over a little bit I don't know are you go into um talking a bit more about the police act yeah I've just got uh just a few uh, just a list of their mistakes really uh it, through, the case, through of, this case yeah yeah through this case not in like general uh, I'll go through now it's a long list boys but uh at the end of it we'll uh we'll summarize right it was widely acknowledged that mistakes were made during the so-called golden hours soon after the disappearance. Neither border nor marine police were given descriptions of Madeline for many hours 
and officers did not make house-to-house -house searches. Roadblocks were put in place at 10 a.m. the next morning, leaving 12 hours for anyone to escape the country. Um, police did not request motorway surveillance pictures of leaving Praia de Luz that night of the disappearance or of the road between Lagos and Villarreal de Santo Antonio on the Spanish border. Uh, Euroscut, the company that manages the road, says they were not approached for information by the police. Uh, it took Interpol five days to issue a global missing person release. They were like the, the international police, Interpol, uh, that's what they do. I say like police for the whole world. I don't really know how to explain it. Um, hundreds of holiday makers later came out and said um, that police had not spoken to them um, at all throughout that time. Uh, the crime scene was not secured. Police took samples from Madeline's bedroom, which were sent to three different forensic labs in Portugal. Uh, it was reported on 1st of June 2007, 29 days after the disappearance, that DNA from one stranger had been found, but around 20 people had entered apartment 5A before it was closed off, meaning kind of nothing. Um, an officer placed tape across the doorway of the child's bedroom, but left at 3am without securing the apartment. Could not wrap my head around that one. Um, apartment 5A was empty for a month after the, after the disappearance, then was let out to tourists before being once again sealed off in August 2007 for more forensic tests. Um, two more. Uh, police allowed a crowd to gather by the front of 5A not long after the disappearance, including next to the children's bedroom window through where an abductor would have entered or left, of course, destroying any evidence. And finally, uh, an officer dusted the bedroom's windows, exterior, shutter for fingerprints without wearing gloves or other protective clothing, you sick freak. Thoughts? Me. I mean, yeah, I, I'd heard some of those before, but when you, when you think about it, you know, it's very easy to look at this case and think, um, it's over, easy to overlook all of that. And you do have to yeah. remember that this is a tiny little seaside village in Portugal very where, easy very easy that you can close it off like you it's just like in a, in the matter of an hour or two you could easily sh shut that whole place down search everywhere you know, like, do you know what i mean it's not like new york on a day-to-day -day, on a day-to-day -day business uh, as usual type scenario this police force probably is dealing with oh i've lost my cat yeah or that's true oh, I've, I've lost my wallet oh, i left it in my in my front room that kind of thing. So when you, it's a little bit, I don't know how much you know about the Amanda Knox case. It's a, um, bit, it's a similar sort yeah. of story to that in that you've got a tiny little village somewhere that happened in Perugia in Italy. Uh, and it was like a, a double murder, I think it was. A tiny little village that is not used to that kind of scale of events, not equipped for it. And, you know, they they shouldn't make these mistakes and those things that you've said there they're very easily um avoided if you just take a minute mm -hmm. to think about what you're doing but the the scale of this was just so off the charts that they were not prepared for it and, and it is like clacton having like a triple murder case yeah it's just, <laughs> well, just not built for it and not used mm -hmm. to it that kind of police force mm -hmm. and like you, you say about the um the apartment being I remember reading somewhere that they didn't treat it as 
we need to look for evidence and all of that. They didn't really treat it as a crime scene because the the as soon as the police got there, they were like, right, the parents have done something here. Rightly or wrongly, pro- wrongly because you should invest. I mean, that's their job to investigate every area. Yeah. But I think that is a reason why they didn't do anything crime scene or we need to look for an intruder here because they straight away went in and was like, there's no way there's an intruder coming here. Mm. But that, mm. that's just negligence from the get-go, isn't it? One of the details that you mentioned then, Zach, sort of caught my attention. Um, mm. You were saying that there were no roadblocks put in place for, do you say, 12 hours? Um, 10 a.m. the next day, they put them oh, in. Yeah. Fuck me. Because that was How the thing ridiculous. that Because one of the things of Portugal is that it has such a huge amount of borders. You can easily get to Spain from there. You can get to Morocco mm-hmm. quite easily. It's, it's somewhere that's very easily connected. So in that space of time, you could, you could be across Europe <laughs> in that sort of time. You could, be, you could be on a boat somewhere with, with Madeline in a fucking zip bag or something. No one would even know the wiser. You know, you could mm-hmm. be well on. Like, people just wouldn't know by that point. There was virtually no point of closing them if they were going to do it at 10 a.m., because obviously yeah. the person that would have taken them would have escaped straight away. Yeah, they wouldn't have just wasted any time. They, if they mm. were going somewhere, they would have gone. Like, they would have gone quickly. It's something that really sort of caught my eye, because there's so many theories as to what happened, and I think it's kind of intriguing to sort of go into them. Like, I think, the, like we said earlier on, I know Greg mentioned it, with the idea that the Portuguese police immediately thought something was up with the McCanns. Do we want to jump into that? Yeah, go for it, man. Because I think, like, I think it's important to say that the the three of us, when we're having this discussion, as is presented to us, really, where we've got our opinions at the end, but anything that comes up in theories and discussion is we're presenting it as is. Yeah, we're just presenting what's already out there, essentially. What's out there? Yeah, exactly. What we've read. We'll conclude at the end. But... And reiterating information that's you know public knowledge essentially it's all available online it's not like we've got some some crazy scoop or anything (laughs) but like i think the the theory that something happened and that the mccann's potentially were responsible in theory for something like maddie actually dying i think is kind of intriguing um the idea that maybe they did something that then caused Maz, like caused Maddie to die, and then they had to scramble together some sort of cover up. I think was something that sort of always caught my attention. Um, that theory basically being is that because both of them uh, were in a medical profession, the idea being that um, Kate, with her knowledge of anaesthetics, would be anaesthetizing the children to get them to go to sleep when they wanted to go out, which I think is a pretty far out idea anyway, but the idea that maybe there was a a possible overdose that then resulted in um, Maddie dying and then them mm. all sort of scrambling to cover it up. Can On I just the note say, of seduction, can, can I go, Greg? Sedation, not seduction. Sed- seduction, sorry. <laughs> on, the, on, the, uh, on the point of sedation, uh, just reading something here over breakfast um the morning of um the disappearance uh maddie had asked kate and jerry why they weren't there the night before mm. and and she'd and she'd cried that night so maybe there was uh, 
maybe anesthetics involved that night to stop the crime maybe the night before there's a really really just quick remark i want to make on that there's a brilliant uh we'll link it in the description there's a brilliant it's about two and a half hours but it's this uh expert um witness statement interview analysis and mm-hmm. he's basically spent about 30 years in police interviews behind the screen listening to what they're saying and within minutes he can decide if um you know they, they've committed the crime or if they've had some involvement and things like that so he's a real expert at this he finds that statement that mccann's made about them saying that madeline said why didn't you come when Sean and Emily were crying. It was something like that, wasn't it? Now, yeah. he, made, he made the point that as a three-year-old, as a child, you're in, in your first reaction, you're selfish as a child. So it would be, why didn't you come when I was crying? Not when they were coming. So he was sort of, it's a really good, um, like two and a half hour video of him really going through a particular interview they did and just debunking all things that they say little indicators that it's not quite as it seems mm-hmm. um, yeah no it's weird that kind of thing with the sedation theory she kate mccann is the one that originally suggested that uh, sedatives might have been used by the abductor mm. she was one of the first people to suggest that as a theory which is bizarre yeah very bizarre but yeah, yeah i mean you could read into that a few ways couldn't you because it could be that that's because it's her expertise maybe she goes oh well i've, I've worked with this sort of thing before maybe it's that or yeah, it could, yeah there's that it could be that potentially yeah mm. for sure i think it's an interesting theory that somehow the kid died i know there was talk of there being like a uh sort of like a bloodhound that sniffed out something in their car and there was some talk of that uh we'll, we'll get to that after that's like the um accidental death theory i've got a load more on the station theory if you want me to lead on okay that. go for it go yeah. for it so yeah um kate mccann was one of the first people to suggest that sedatives had been used um saying that it was quote possible that the abductor administered sedatives uh, and going back to that night that night of the disappearance kate's kate's account of that first night uh, in her book she talks about how her reaction to finding madeline gone how she yelled, was banging her fists, hitting at things and screaming. Bear in mind that Madeline shared a bedroom with the two twins, about one and a half years old. You would think that all of that would wake the children up. Mm. However, all of the other accounts from the Tapas Nine and Kate herself said that the twins slept soundly. And it was Fiona, I think, Fiona Payne, that actually had to... Test. She said that Kate tested to see if the children were awake or test if they were under sedation or even alive. She put a hand on their back to check for breathing. Mm. So it's bizarre that basically it gives a little bit of credence to the sedation theory that they would sedate all three of them to get to get them to bed quicker so they could go out and have an evening. Because it's weird thing, all of that banging about, all of that commotion, all nine of them went in and out of that room. That's why the crime scene was contaminated because there was so much movement. And yet you've got these two one and a half year old twins sleeping soundly to the extent that Kate has to check that they're actually breathing. When they yeah, that's, supposedly that's cried the night before. 
when they're supposedly no the noise. Exactly. Yeah, if, if, we, if we take what supposedly Madeline said the night before, then those kids were up and crying and not being funny. Like, my niece is coming up for one years old, and I know that, like, there's, they still have issues with her going to bed. She'll still be up at silly times or be crying at, like, four in the morning, that kind of thing. Like, they're still dealing with stuff like that. Admittedly, that's a little bit younger, but not by a lot. That's by, like, I don't know, what, like, six months, something like that. Mm. It's barely anything. So it's, like... It's the same sort of stage as in, on infancy as, uh, as they were, of course. The yeah. head of the Portuguese investigation, Goncalo Amaral, who I think is worth a discussion in himself, mm-hmm. he, he's been, been highly critical of McCann's throughout. He said Is he the one was, that wrote the book? Yeah, he wrote the book. Yeah. And he said that there was absolutely no doubt in his mind that the children were sedated. Wow. Right, okay, so on the 10th of August, Kate contacted the PJ and requested that the twins were tested um, for traces of sedation. And it's reported that she was on her own during that phone call to the police, and she sounded upset. Jerry McCann called that same afternoon and cancelled the request. And Jerry's firmly denied any claims around the use of sedatives, calling them ludicrous. I don't know if you've seen that interview where the Portuguese interviewer asks if they used cowpole or anything. The and lady. He, yeah, and he gives the least convincing answer um, yeah. ever. So you've got a conflict there in that Kate is the one that suggested sedatives been used. She made the call to get the twins tested just in case, but then Jerry firmly denies all of them and cancelled the request. On the 24th of September, so bear in mind she went missing on the 3rd of May, 24th September, the McCanns undertook their own private sampling test. And by this time, sedatives would have long left the body. Sedatives can take between six hours and 200 hours to leave the body because they stay in hair, they stay in DNA, all of that. They're both doctors. Mm. Kate is an anaesthetist. They yeah. would fucking know that. Definitely. It's, it's a very strange thing. I, I get that, you know, if you're in that sort of strange space where they would have been in of like somewhere between grief and you, you know almost in limbo mm-hmm. i get why you might start clinging to any sort of ridiculous piece of evidence i understand that and i, and I think especially in a in an, in a situation where it, it, there is seemingly no evidence it's utterly clueless why you would start going to sort of quite extensive leaps to try and find something I get that, but at the same time, you know, it's been that. What would that have been? August. That's like three months, three or four months since the actual abduction. There wouldn't be anything there, and it does feel like maybe they did anaesthetize their children, and then they're maybe trying to acknowledge that, but also cover it. It's it's very strange. The really iffy detail. Well, the. The thing is that you could look at this both ways. You could look at it and go, right, if they know that if the twins get tested for sedatives, then the police, and, and it comes back positive, then the police know that the McCanns did sedate their children to get them to sleep. And if that's the extent of it, that is pretty awful. 
I mean, Kate, mm. depending on the sensitives used, Kate could have lost her um, license, could have lost her job, would look really bad. On top of that, you could look at, it opens the door of, oh, okay, so this dated them. Madeline could have been overdosed. She could have been drowsy, fallen and hit her head, all of that kind of thing. You can look at it mm. both ways, of course. What doesn't help is that Kate McCann in her book wrote about this and she said that, quote, hair samples produced negative results and went on to say that, and this is a direct quote, while this didn't totally exclude the possibility that the children had been sedated, it meant nobody else could prove otherwise. Fucking hell. Mm. Could prove otherwise. Why... <laughs> I know there's a few strange things in that book, isn't there? There's some very odd details. I want to preface this. I, want, I don't want to say, I don't want to come across as I'm attacking the McCanns and blaming the blame on them. But why would you appear defensive? Why would you come out and say, well, you can't prove otherwise, if you're just trying to find your daughter? That really is, like, it's the first form of, like, chatting shit, isn't it? Where, you're, where you become very defensive. That's one of the first signs. And yeah, to see to see them get so defensive again, you don't obviously we're not in the position of them. You know, obviously they probably don't get any sleep. They're probably very stressed. They probably are getting annoyed at uh, and defensive at things they might not normally do because their daughter's missing. They must be running on like an hour, two hours sleep max a night, which does have its toll. Obviously, again, I'm not sticking up for them or anything. It's just you you never know with these stories because you don't know what it's like to lose a daughter. It could be because obviously the Portuguese police have been kind of set on this idea that they're they're behind it, that they would feel defensive. And yeah. I can understand why there would be a, a defensive mentality. Well you can't prove it, so fucking shut up. Like I can get why they would go down that route, but at the same time doesn't look good. Like it's not great, to, though, it's it not great, great not at all. And I briefly mentioned it there. Of course, there's another theory um, about the, the accidental death theory or the freak accident. And um, this is, you know, we've mentioned that the PJ originally thought this is what happened. And investigator Tavares de Almeida, he concluded in his report that Madeline died in the apartment that night, uh, the, the night that she was reported missing, uh, stating that. <laughs> Quote, there seems to be no strong indication that the child's death was anything other than the result of a tragic accident. Evidence for this theory, and I think this is strong evidence, is the dog searches. Mm. Mm. Which, ironically, are the only things that can't be used in evidence. Yeah, I know. I, know. Evidence, I didn't know annoying. that before, before watching the documentary. I didn't know that dog Nor did I. evidence can't be submitted. So they put two dogs. I loved the dogs, by the way. Sweet little Brilliant. Mm -hmm. dog, Eddie and uh, the blood dog. The cadaver dog. <laughs> cadaver dog, um, which looks for scents of corpse and rotting bodies, found the scent of a corpse odour in 12 places associated with the McCanns. Uh, and there, there was a mix of the inside the apartment. I believe it was the, in the wardrobe and behind the settee. Mm-hmm. In the McCann's rental car, which the McCann's rented 25 days after the disappearance, and also on Kate McCann's clothes. 
and the blood dog found the scent of blood and bodily fluids on five of those 12 locations. Let me just say four words for you, okay? Dogs don't fucking lie. <laughs> the dog isn't going into this with any other thought of, if I do my job, I get a treat. And it, even then, because pe people look at the blood dog evidence and go, well, of course it's going to find something, it gets a treat. They give it a treat regardless. They give it a treat if it finds something or doesn't. It just knows that if I bark, if I get something like this, I've done my job. It doesn't go into yeah. it thinking, oh, I don't know, I might have a... It doesn't have an opinion on the McCartans. These fuckers didn't pet me. They're dead. Yeah, yeah. But that, that's not how that happened. I mean, I sorry if I, I sound harsh, but dogs don't fucking lie. The only thing I would say, like, because I was reading about the dog evidence, and I think they've said that it's not a wholly accurate process, that there is something like there's quite a... There's about a thirty percent margin of error, thirty percent. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember seeing in the uh, documentary they they they, went, they debunked it, didn't they, or not debunked it? They so it was contaminated. So that it might have been Maddie's blood. That was it. Yeah, I I, I completely concede that. But fuck me, we're talking. Is about that all they said in the documentary about that? Like that it only might have been her blood. Yeah, that's basically the conclusion. But fuck yeah. me, we're talking about making a good impression and not looking good, mate. Yeah, that doesn't mm. bode well, does it? Not at all. I think that is one of the ones where it is quite a, a shocking idea. So I, I think it's, it's quite, it also connects quite well with the idea that maybe Maddie was anaesthetised, but she could have potentially fallen, hurt herself, cracked her head open on something, mm. um, or, you know, like, because of that. Either it was an overdose and killed her, or she, you know, she tripped, she fell, she cut herself on something. You know, kids are clumsy. I mean, fucking adults are clumsy. Like, it, it doesn't take a lot to imagine that a, a three-year-old with free reign of a of a small hotel could probably injure themselves. Well, one of the big theories is that um, you know, Kate and Jerry. Okay, maybe they maybe they didn't have an active role in Maddie's death. Let's let's look at if she died that night. They went out at 8.30 and they were doing the regular checks. If Maddie is sedated, if she wakes up and she's drowsy and looks for her parents, goes to look out of the wind, because the settee, um, the window was just behind it. So if she stands up on the settee, trying to look out the window, trying to find mummy and daddy, falls back, hits her head. Say that happens at half nine or something. And the parents maybe weren't doing a check I mean, after a couple of glasses of wine, maybe they thought they'll be okay for another half an hour. Mm -hmm. They went back and find the body. Rigor mortis could have set in and an autopsy would have known that. And the question they, they, would have been asked... They would have been held responsible. The question would yeah. have been asked, why is there signs of her dying three hours before the body was discovered and you came in? Then they would go to prison for neglect, and I don't know what degree of manslaughter that would be. I don't know really particularly, but they would, you know, leave two children, very well-paid jobs, and be disgraced. So there's that incentive. Of course, that's all hypothesizing, and there's that's relying on a lot of different things to fall into place. Mm -hmm. But that does sort of give incentive if all of that were to be the case. Yeah. So. The idea being there is that to avoid a, a man sort of claim that they they sort of incur this massive 
conspiracy. Right. They go, right, well, no, she didn't. It was it was a a, a prancing paedophile took our daughter. Like <laughs> like that sort of turns into this this great thing that then I think because of the media frenzy becomes completely impenetrable and then it gets massively out of hand. Definitely, yeah. So that's it's inter- it's quite an interesting theory. Yeah, it's an interesting one. And um yeah, that because that is a you know, with not to try and get onto conspiracy theories too too much, but that is sort of the way that people look at conspiracy theories to go, all right, well, why would why would the McCanns do this? Why would the McCanns cover up their death? Why would they do that? Mm. In those moments, you can get very I mean, not speaking from experience, of course. Um fucking out myself as a murderer <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> When I'm busy murdering people. <laughs> um, yeah. In those moments, it's very easy to go very selfish and think, right, okay, if we go to prison, what's happening to the kids? But was that, I don't know if it's selfish, really, but it's that kind of thought process of it's better to live with the guilt of hiding and stuff like that rather than these, the children. The, yeah, the, less, the lesser of two evils. Right, mm. that kind of thing. 100%. I think that's very probable. Especially with their their past in um, medicine, mm. uh, the kids being sound as the other two kids are being sound asleep the whole night. I just right. it just really I, that's probably the most believable in terms of like the, all the theories that have been put forward. I think mm, for sure. And throughout the years, you know, this is what thirteen years ago now. Jesus, there's, there's been- so long ago. There's been a handful of good leads, really. There's a handful less than that. I mean, we've got obviously the the sketches of Have You Seen This Man? We've got Jane Tanner. Um, yeah, I remember that picture of of the um, the sketch of like that they they found like a, a slumped girl in the that was the Jane Tanner one, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think that guy came forward years later and said he was carrying a child. Yeah, but but why would the, why would has he not owned a TV for fucking eight years? It's I think he came like out that. really late. I, I looked into the uh, the Jane Tanner sighting actually because I think oh, it yeah. was it. Um, I think it was in the initial in in the initial Portuguese investigation. It was looked at as being this sort of crucial detail, mm-hmm. and I I remember it. I remember seeing that illustration of the man with the long hair carrying the little girl i remember seeing those those illustrations for for years like i remember seeing that um but i think even at the time it was fairly quickly sort of there were people there was someone who matched that description who sort of went hmm i was taking my daughter home i think i matched that slightly maybe they (laughs) saw me um and i think in 2011 when scotland yard opened their own inquiry into it they clocked it was a red herring and it yeah. was a complete like non-detail but you can see why it would be gravitated to so so drastically so i think that's the thing you have to remember the sort of geography of the environment of of this sort of this area is that there are a lot of holiday makers and a lot of them have got kids so you've only got to see one person with a little blonde girl around the same age and if you don't get a good enough look and you're looking for that your brain's going to go oh my god mm. they've got it does just like, it does just show the unprofessionalism of of how the, the police handled it when 
as soon as the British police in 2011 took over, they were like, yeah, red herring straight away. That's complete bollocks. Why, mm. why, would you, why would you ever even put that out there for years? And it was, that was one of the main pictures. Just well, shows, doesn't it? Do you totally remember why they would magnetise to it? But it was quickly disproved. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? Do you remember very, very um, close to the beginning of all of this? The Portuguese police released the um, like artist impressions drawing of one of the suspects, and it was literally like an egg with a bit of hair on it. <laughs> yeah, do you remember that? That was genuinely <laughs> is, is like, have you seen this man? We think it may have been <laughs> who did the uh, the kidnapping. So yeah, so that sort of does prove your <laughs> point of the fuck me. It was a little bit. You know, it was a sort of... I think it might have been because that was almost the only distinct character. Because, you know, it was quite a distinct look. had this sort of like a long sort of... Look, the, to be frank, the guy looked a little bit like John Wick. Like... <laughs> like, with like, you could all... Like, let's see. Like, there's a distinctness to that person straight away. Yeah. Whereas of every other sort of possible character in the case they're all kind of well you know they, they all look a little bit invisible almost they're sort of like nondescript they're like they're like a textbook human they're, they're like a bit nothing mm. for sure and also i think it's important to remember like you said about um zach that it took him years to come forward I think that one of the biggest issues with this case and one of the reasons that there's been such a lack of evidence and people come forward is that I think the British media straight away, the minute there was anything to jump on, they straight away, like with that um, character drawing, it was, I think the headline was something like Maddie's kidnapper revealed or like it was straight away. like Front page, wasn't it? Front page, trying to grab your attention. So if you are that bloke and you know that, that you're in that position, you're in that time, and that is genuinely your daughter, you've got nothing wrong, you would be slightly terrified to come forward because, fuck, what, my God, what are Very they going to print about you, me? You were immediately, I think especially now, and it was at that, it was at that strange transitional point with Madeline, is it was, it was that little period when the world was starting to get a lot more internet savvy and it was that sort of era of well if you do something the internet doesn't forget it you're constantly <laughs> enveloped in it like it, it was getting to that point and i this think case with, was, this case was just before twitter came out yeah this was like yeah. on the, it was like on the cusp of of the way the media is handled massively changing mm. and i mean we i mean we've sort of talked about it a little bit recently when we when we did the review of quiz which you should check out, by the way. Um, <laughs> if you look at that, you can see the sort of media hounding. And that was like a good four or five years before. Like, mm. there was, it was crazy the amount of attention that was, was drawn to them over a bloody game show. So even if you are a fairly sort of auxiliary part of that story, as, as that guy was, or maybe might have realised he was, you can understand why you would go, yeah, fuck that. <laughs> not touching that with a fucking barge pole. Like I can yeah. totally get why you would want to steer as clear as possible. Because if you go, oh yeah, I'm so and so. By the way, I was a Madeline McCann fucking suspect. How are you doing? People are gonna be like, Ugh. yeah. Because if it's just if it's just a drawing and no name, you can just leave it and go right. 
I'll come out in six, seven years and say that. You can, instead of, you can reserve your anonymity and exactly. obscurity. And I think that's what that guy did. And I can't blame him, especially yeah. if he had got a child, which obviously he did. You'd go, yeah, I'm not exposing my child to such a fucking crazy media friend. Especially yeah. after seeing um, what happened with Robert Murat, the actual first suspect. Um, mm. That was... Yeah. Um, that was in this case. He he was wrongly accused of it, and he received six hundred grand in out of court settlements. I think he should have um, got double that. Mm-hmm. It, that. At the time, it was the largest number um, of like it was like the biggest payout ever in regards to one issue. So basically, Robert Murat was a guy that lived in Predaloos at the time. He just lived with his mother. I think he was in property, something like that. Mm. Funny little bloke. And he had a dodgy eye. He was blind in one eye. And basically... Bit of a weird-looking bloke. Yeah, yeah. But he got involved in the case because... I think that there's people out there in this world that when bad things happen, they sort of want to be... They want to be the saviour. They want to help. They want to... Straight away, it's like, oh, I can help him. I can do... It's cringy as fuck. For better or worse, whatever. But he acted as a sort of translator for the McCanns because he was fluent in English and Portuguese. And he acted as a translator. And basically, he got very close to the case. And the British media sort of looked at him and went, he's got a funny eye. Must be <laughs> And he was ruined. He got, like, his... I think his house was raided about four times. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you just have to think that that relates back to the PJ's utter incompetence in the, why you have to raid it once. You like, forgot to check under the sofa, right? Raid it again. Get that done in one. And that should be able to prove. I left my keys in there, mate. I need to go back. Right. Who who was the, um, who was that? Who was the murderer that they always compared him to? They said he had vibes of, um, like a guy that murdered two kids. So a woman basically came out and said, he's got Ian Huntley vibes. That's it. And that what? was the thing that nailed him. Because Ian Huntley is a bloke that, um, he was the first person, interview- these two girls went missing and he was the first person to be interviewed and said how awful it is and all of that. But he was actually the one that killed them. Mm-hmm. He was on the news yeah, yeah. the night getting interviewed. He, uh, I think he offered to be interviewed. Yeah. And... He he was acting as if it was so awful when uh, and he he would he would do a lot what um Marat would do like help in the case walk around try and help so you this know, woman, was always on TV so this woman comes out of nowhere and fucking ruins Robert Marat's life by basically going on the news and saying I don't know he's got Ian Huntley vibes probably never even met Ian Huntley probably had no. nothing to do with it but just by saying those few words the British media straight away thought. Right, well, we can't let that happen again. He, he must have done it. We've got to get him now. Mm. That's disgusting. So it's such Absolutely a disgusting. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, going back to that point as well about people probably not wanting to come forward, even if they've got a little bit of information, because you can see what happened to Robert Murat. Yeah, I, I, I do sort of remember this guy now from the documentary. Like, he did sort of get lumped in quite unfairly. For sure, for sure. When there was he, a bit. There was a bit. Um, something. There was something weird with him, wasn't there? Where he, where he, uh, he refused had, to answer a few questions about what went on his on in his computer. Was it? You know, so, so basically, he 
had a there was a bloke living in Prayer de Luz, a Russian guy who was a web designer. Mm. And he was a giant spider. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he was designing a website for Robert Murat. And they had a phone call, I think the night of Madeline's disappearance. And it was late at, late at night, I think. And the police looked at that and thought, that is weird. Why are you... Because I don't think they had an intimate relationship. It was just that it, he was doing some work for Robert Murat. And there's... It's a, it's a fishy one because the, the guy is interviewed in the documentary, but he doesn't talk about this element too much. Because I think that the PJ took his hard drives and I think they found child pornography. And... Mm-hmm. The guys, oh no, no, maybe not child pornography. I think it was just pornography, I think. And the guy's defense was basically, I deal with a lot of clients, that's clients' computers, things like that. And in the documentary, he didn't really prove his innocence in any way. He was just like, I'm not going to talk about that kind of thing. Yeah, that was, a, that was an awkward moment. It was awkward. Because he, he was seen as like a, such a good guy. Like, this guy is innocent like right. from start to finish. And then... It, I'm pretty sure it was late on when uh, he started getting a bit weird about them questions. I don't really remember it properly, but yeah, that was a bit of an awkward bit. Yeah, it was awkward. I just want to touch on Kate and Jerry McCann a little bit more. Um, we've obviously mentioned them a fair bit throughout this, but uh, just to give them their own sort of section. Obviously, they were very highly um, regarded in the medical world. Um, one of them a GP, one of them consultant cardiologist. And um, I particularly have problems with Jerry, personally. I don't know if you picked up on that through the podcast. <laughs> I caught a faint with it. I've got real problems with Jerry because he seems like an exceptionally cold and sort of controlling. He likes to be in control of any situation. I think he controls Kate to an extent. And um, something I wanted to note is that in the first uh, interviews uh, after Madeline's disappearance with the PJ, Jerry was interviewed alone. However, when it came to Kate's interview, Jerry and his advisors insisted that he sat behind Kate while she was having her interview, which is very, very unusual, almost unheard of. And um, Kate, in her book, said that every so often Jerry would reach over and put his hand on her shoulder and give her a sort of reassuring squeeze. See, I, I, I don't want to seem like I'm finding things to pin on them, but you could read that as he is very controlling, he has set a narrative... And he's absolutely making sure that Kate, the more vulnerable, the weaker one, sticks to it a little bit. Mm. You know what I mean? Or or Kate might maybe the weaker one that might might be taking the daughter's disappearance maybe a a bit worse. I think they went into this in the the doc as well. How uh, she was, I think she was a lot weaker than him in terms of just like mental strength in general. Yeah. Not because of like guilt or anything. Yeah. And maybe that's like the reason for the squeezes or, you know, we can, it is hard to just to, to think these normal, like a reassuring squeeze could genuinely just mean a reassuring squeeze. Absolutely. It really could. They could be a lovely couple that love each other, but just, <laughs> you know, 
didn't obviously didn't handle <laughs> read it a lot of different ways stuff yeah 100 like um i just wanted to put it out there really and i've got some of jerry's statements that have been taken since the disappearance i want to i'm going to read them all to you and then i want you to see if you've picked up on the strange bits that i've picked up on see if we match notes okay uh, so here's one we had very clear objectives of what we wanted and any parents would take the opportunity of trying to get information into the investigation. That's one. Second one, there is no evidence that Madeline is dead and there is no evidence to implicate us in her death. Third one, everything we've done in the last 100 days is focused on the belief that Madeline was alive when she was abducted. And then this, of course, is the um, cowpole exchange with the interviewer. The interviewer said, that evening, did you give your kids cowpole to help them sleep? Jerry's response was, you know, we're not going to comment on anything, but, you know, there's absolutely no way we used any sedative drugs or anything like that. In one interview, one rather exceptional interview that you can find online, the interviewer says, when you heard the police had found blood in the apartment, how did you react? Jerry held his hands up, said, you know what, takes his mic off. This is all investigation and you need to speak to the police. He stood up, his PR um, assistant was saying, Jerry, just, just. Jerry said, all your questions are about the investigation and I can't comment on that. PR woman says, Jerry, just sit. Jerry says, no, we can't answer questions like that. And the PR woman says, they know that. They just want you to say it's speculation. Jeez. There's um, very strange things. As I say, in the comment, in the description, we'll put a, a link to a two and a half hour analysis of their interview. So, so that, that um, sedative drug one, where, so the question was, that, that evening, evening, did you, kid, did you give cowpole to help them sleep? And at the end of his answer was, uh, no way we use any sedative drug or anything like that. He says, he, you know... We're not going to comment on anything, but, you know, there's absolutely no way we used any sedative drugs or anything like that. Watch After a the, question about cowpole. Watch the actual interview, and he does that sort of chuckling, nervous laugh, pitches his ear. It's a really uncomfortable interview to watch, but it's the qualifiers. It's, I'm, I'm not in any way an, a speech analysis. Um, I wish have, I you, have you seen speech analysis on something like this? I think there was a case in the UK I've where watched a it lot was, of things it, like that. which is the woman's pet, the, the late the girl's parents that did it, or her stepdad, and he was interviewed a lot on TV, and he was saying stuff like, um, the, the, like there is no evidence that Madeline's dead, and this is just a, something he similarly said when Jerry said there is no evidence Madeline's dead, and there is no evidence to implicate us in her death. Very similar things were said from um from the people that are clearly behind that in these shows i've watched in terms of like psychology there's never one tell of he's lying there's never one single tell but there are many different factors that can suggest deception it's all about deception and a narrative because your our words betray us you know in a sense not to get too um psychological i'm not trained in anything like that but i've watched a lot of things like this and it's things like when he says 
we had very clear objectives in a nutshell that is so you've you've got a plan you've got a motive here then he says mm. about focused on the belief that madeline was alive um it's putting things like implicate us in her death it's all these phrases that when you in, in a longer form that it's not a good look they're bringing up things that weren't brung up yeah like stuff like that it's it is just a tell it's just a tell sign of deception yeah all them jerry quotes are ridiculous the quotes are interesting i think for me there's a few things that could be going on again like i know you're you're i think it's fair to say you're a little bit anti jerry in some capacity a little bit you've got a, a sort of perception of him as this quite malicious figure and i totally can see why you would read it that way but for me, like with anything like this, I'm always a little bit wary of going too far one way. I'm not a fence sitter necessarily, but I prefer to have a, a full perspective. And with this guy, all of that can be read as a few things. It could be that, you know, he is from a an educated clinical background. And the way he talks about it, to me, jumped out as being very clinical. The way he talks about certain details, to me, came across like that. And it could simply be that he's trying to be as as sort of by the book sort of on paper and as technical about it as possible um which can be a problem because people can view that as him being a bit cold and a little bit sort of robotic but it might be simply the best way for someone like him to deal with it because it's very easy to get up in the emotion of it and be like someone took my child and you know be very i don't know why they would go shakespearean but being very fired up like you can see why someone would be in a in a state like that where they would try and just be like, what do we actually know? Let's break down the facts. What are we trying to achieve? I can get why you would go methodical and try and make sense out of something that is utterly horrendous to be in. Absolutely. But you could kind of read it as that. Um, and I can also see why if you were constantly being interviewed and being asked details that maybe you weren't totally privy to and were a little bit, unaware of that you would eventually get a bit pissed off and maybe lose your lose your cool a little bit i can see mm -hmm. why if interviewers were going what do you think about the blood then that you'd just be like fuck's sake i don't know but especially with the lack of sleep they're probably getting yeah they, they probably got like that barrage constantly there probably wasn't even an escape from it so i get why you'd end up in a state where you'd be like fuck right what are you trying to what are you trying to get out of me like i can get why eventually your your patience would be broken by stuff mm -hmm. like on top of that as well it's i totally concede that they'll they'll never get that measure right i don't think anyone in the public media could because to being too clinical you can look at them and go they're too cold they've killed her if they were yeah. too emotional, if they were crying the whole time, you think that's too much. Yeah, they've all been they killed her. Like I totally concede that. It's just when because I've done um probably should have mentioned this at the beginning. I did my dissertation on conspiracy theories and I wrote about this. So I've done probably about thirty hours or so of research into this. And so this isn't based on twenty minutes research into them. I've I've sort of looked at Jerry and I've, I've sort of gauged that I don't like him. I don't like how he comes across and, you know, whether that means that he's guilty or innocent, I don't know, of course, but 
there's just little things that along the way you look at it, the more you look into it. Ah, it's not a good look. That's how that's sort of my summation on anything that they've done really is it's not a good look. Mm. Mm. I think we'll conclude this with the reason that it's the, really the reason that we've 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 spoke about this we've today. spoken about that it's the reason we've spoken about this and brought it up and researched it is that there has been a massive development in the Madeleine McCann case 13 years after she initially went missing mm. and um you know in Germany they have identified a new prime suspect uh, they're calling him a prime suspect and uh, they've named him Christian B for legal reasons uh, they can't name him fully can't name him fully, but his image is plastered everywhere, all over the world. Um, sure. Don't know how that's going to help him. So he's a 43-year-old German man, um, currently in prison in uh, Braunschweig, Germany. Mm. And uh, he's, he's a bastard, basically. He's, he's a known sure. career criminal, is what they call him. And uh, he committed his first sex crime at the age of 17 uh, in 1994. He's had a total of 17 convictions relating to child sex offences, drug, Fuck. rape, and child pornography. And uh, he's currently serving time in prison for the rape of a 72-year-old American in the Algarve in 2005. Um, so that gives you a bit of a colour of him. Fucking hell! Yeah, That this man guy, is a late um, bastard. He's just a predator. Yeah, just a, yeah. Yeah, exactly, a predator. Um, he's currently appealing against the rape conviction, uh, but he is also serving a sentence for supplying drugs. Um, and he's had previous theft and child abuse convictions, um, child pornography um, in his possession. And yeah, he, he is known to have filmed um, these acts. Fucking hell. Um, filmed and torture um, of people uh, that he's tied up um, and the big link is the big link between him and Madeleine McCann is that he was living in Pride de Luge uh, when Madeleine McCann disappeared a camper van <laughs> yeah he lived in a camper van and of the night of her disappearance there was a 30 minute phone call that the suspect made, Christian B, between 7.30 and 8, uh, 8.02 p.m. And German police are treating it as a murder inquiry. And they're saying that they have evidence that, it's, that she's murdered, but they don't have enough evidence to convict him. I don't, I don't understand that at all. It sounds, to me, I was reading it, I was thinking that, I was thinking, right, okay, what could that mean? And it could mean... It could, he, reading that, if you had any information, if you read that, you'd think, right, the jig is up. I might as well just come clean. So it could be a little bit of a tactic of... Yeah, true, know, yeah. We know this has happened, but we're not going to tell you what. So people are worrying. If anyone else was involved, hopefully they'll come forward and, and own up to it. Um, he, yeah, so we said that he owned a camper van that was in Praia Deluge days before the disappearance of Madeleine McCann. He owned a shack two miles away from the resort that uh, the McCann's were at, uh, and he had a house in a nearby town. He's also been linked to a Jaguar 
XJR6, uh, which had a German license plate, which had been seen in the area of Proud de Luge between 2006 and 2007. However, on May the 4th, 2007, the day after Madeline disappeared, the registration for the car was swapped. Into a that and bit got me so when I was reading that's, on it. That's really weird. It's weird, yeah. There's these little things that are popping up. Um, he's also been linked to three other missing children cases. Um, Renee Haas, a six-year-old. I think she's been... In German media, they refer to her as the German Madeleine McCann. Okay. She went missing from a family beach holiday in the Algarve in 96, close to mm. where Christian B was living at the time. Inga Gertrude, five-year-old. He's sort of cases before. It's interesting. Inga Gertrude, I don't know if I've spelled that right, five-year-old, vanished from a barbecue in Saxony Anhalt in May 2015, close to where Christian B was living. And there's another one in Brussels that um, her body was found in a canal, uh, Carolina Tits. And uh, I think he was living in that area as well. So either all of this stuff follows him around or he's <laughs> gone active involved. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a stretch to, but where he goes, coincidentally, children. Yeah, a, a convicted paedophile and rapist. Yeah, yeah. Being followed around by these, by these missing children cases. In, in 2015, he took over a uh, kiosk in Braunschweig, and uh, was working there. And his colleagues have since been interviewed. And apparently, when the, the staff were talking about the Madeleine McCann disappearance, he got uh, he, he quote freaked out and yelled quote, the child is dead, and that's a good thing. He said... What that, um, the fuck? So a barmaid that was working there um, said that uh, he completely freaked out when we were sitting talking about the case. He wanted us to stop. He cried out, the child is dead now, and that's a good thing. Then he said, you can make a body disappear quickly. Pigs also eat human flesh. Fucking hell. Yeah, and arrest this man. And I don't think that this is confirmed, but he's known to have boasted about his convictions and boasted about things he's done, and that's sort of how they got the tip off about him. Um, people, I think it's speculated that he was boasting about having some involvement in all of this, and that's uh, where they got the tip off. He has been linked with this case beforehand, so he's he's a new name in the prime suspect arena, but within the case, he's known uh, known for being involved and the german federal police office say that uh, the mccann's apartment may have been ram randomly targeted by christian b and uh you know he broke in looking to steal um because he was a burglar as well of course <laughs> um, so you know the, the theory is that he went in to burgle the apartment and you know it moved into a sexual mode carried away quote unquote and um took madeline so i suppose the only thing waiting is a uh, apparently he's not cooperating with the police very well um i don't think that he's he's talking to them or re revealing anything but 
you know, any day now, it, it, all it could take is a confession from him. Or, you know, as the German police say that they've got evidence, they are treating this now, um, sadly, as a murder rather than the disappearance. Um, mm. McCann's are hopeful, of course, that they find her alive, but the Germans yeah. have proof of murder, allegedly. So and you'd, you'd, you'd think uh, um, with such a massive story, if anyone did abduct her, I would have thought this obviously not meaning to sound awful or anything. They, I'm guessing they probably would have killed her very soon after this got out. Because if, if they would have, if she would have been seen by anyone, that she was, she was the most known kid in the world by far. So if I'm guessing if she wasn't abducted, I don't think she would have been alive for that long, which is actually a good thing. Well, I think that um, that is one of the theories, isn't it? That uh, going back to the police, I think that they, in the very beginning of the case, they released the image of Madeline's eye, didn't they? They said mm -hmm. a huge campaign about how she had a very distinctive eye and the police straight away came out and were like, that is only going to spook the kidnapper if there is one so um, exactly yeah yeah but it's i don't know it's it's a it's an interesting lead it definitely is and you know, there's no i don't mean to say i hope that that is the case but you you know for from all what we've said you do hope that the family if they weren't involved get some closure really yeah that that would really that would be good and i think I think they're on their way to it because this German police story in one is more evidence and more kind of concrete shit than and we've had any. in 13 years. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's definitely the strongest lead. It's the fact that he was in the area. He's, he has a history of this. He's been uh, in similar areas where this kind of thing has happened. There's definitely, I think the idea that, Madeleine McCann that that case was actually some part of a, of a wider sort of serial criminal is quite compelling I think that makes it quite it adds to it certainly the idea that it wasn't she was some cause it, it's very unusual I think that was always the thing that helps the Madeleine case maintain such a, a fascination for people was the fact that it just seemed so random that someone would just randomly take this this child seemingly with with no real precedent. But the idea of actually, oh, this has happened before and all these cases might be linked by this one linchpin, this one person, it, it seems to immediately start, you know, things start to fall into place the moment you sort of look at it that way, almost. Yeah, 100%. In in especially reading that, the number plate thing, that his number plate, they changes. He change, sorry, he changed his number plate the day after she went missing. That gave me goosebumps. I don't know why when I first saw it on the news, but I was like, shit, this is like the biggest gain of this story since hmm. it started. Like there was so many vague, so many like vague, vague things to say about this, and even in the papers, there wasn't any really facts. It was just all speculation for thirteen years, basically. Mm. He immediately feels now. more viable than any other hundred percent candidate or suspect. Hundred percent. No, yeah, definitely. I think that um, it will give the McCanns a lot of closure if this guy, if if he does know something, then uh, it would be a shame if it was a 
false hope situation. Mm-hmm. It would be a shame that if uh, if he was just a bastard in the area, <laughs> and um, it's not unheard of for things like that to happen. To be yeah, honest, yeah, of course, yeah. I think every, it would be a real shame if it if it was, and this does sometimes happen where people will criminals do it where they'll go. Well, I was involved in that. I did this thing as well, and they, they might not have, but they they sort of throw their name in the hat to get a bit more cred. But I don't think it would make sense to do that with Madeline. So I think we should end our first unsolved mystery episode, and I think we should maybe lay out what we based on what we've talked about here, what we think could have happened. Um, so Adam, I don't know if you want to give your, what you reckon. Yeah, I'll go if, for if, it. If you have a theory at all, of course. Mm. My theory is it was aliens. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I think with this case up until quite recently, it's quite understandable why people would go, ah, oh, it was, it was actually the McCanns who did it. It was their, it was their sort of play. They created this great conspiracy to sort of snuff out any sort of culpability on it. And I can see why people would buy into that, but I, I don't think that's true. And I think now the idea that someone, not necessarily that it was particularly planned, but they, they took the child and they sort of disappeared. And it was almost for them, it was just a passing moment. But then just suddenly got all this traction almost miraculously is, to me, I think, quite likely. But I can see, like, like with anything, I, I, I sort of, I don't always like mentioning David Icke because I, I find him a bit of a polarising figure. But that little bit that he said about um, every leg having an Achilles heel... I think that is quite a, a sort of apt quote with this case is that there are so many little details that you can read into and go, what the fuck's going on here? And you can see where people find, you know, I think people can look at the McCann case and find basically whatever they want. But I think the idea that someone just got snatched and then maybe the McCanns unfortunately didn't present themselves in the best way has created this air of conspiracy around it. I think the lack of leads created that. But yeah, I think this, I hope that this German suspect, whoever he may be, brings at least some further light to it or potentially actual closure. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that, Adam, in terms of kind of on, on not on the parent's side, but kind of saying they've just lost a kid like we don't know what they're feeling i don't like that it's journalist's job to make them um like react like that in front of the camera it's the whole it's their whole job to do that um like you you don't know how how you're going to react in that sort of situation i think i i I really really do hope (laughs) and that sounds awful but i do hope it wasn't the parents and it was an abduction Mm. you know what i mean because that would be and and I am I'm pretty sure I'm 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 sure it's not the parents after after watching because the Madeline McCann documentary really did um uh, they were they were proper for the parents weren't they even though um they didn't um come out for an interview at all they bashed the they bashed the documentary I think even yeah. though it was <laughs> fully on the McCann side yeah. so um, I think I think it was a rush of blood from someone that burgled the house. 
I think he obviously the person went in there, and went for a burgle, had a rush of blood. Obviously, being the man he is, and I think he he must have taken her, saw the absolute media frenzy, um, and panicked, and I guess got rid of her. Mm. That's, my, think, that's my uh, summary. I think um, I hope I'm wrong. I will say that I do hope I'm wrong, but. I think that Madeline died that night. I think that Kate and Jerry weren't responsible. I think that it was an accident. It wasn't planned or intentional. But I think that they covered it up in a way. Mm. I think, I yeah, I do hope I'm wrong. But I think that there's just too many little bits that don't quite fit into the she went missing without a trace and we don't know what how or why or what and no one's come forward with anything but i want to read to you the i mentioned it earlier um peter hyatt is the name of the statement analysis and um in his he into uh, he watched the interview in 2011 with the mccann's uh, watch the whole video because he goes into a proper detail. It's two and a half hours long, but it's, a, it's an interesting watch if you're interested in this. And he believes just from an interview, he gets the opinion that Madeline is dead. Her death wasn't intentional. The McCann's disposed of the remains in a hidden manner and they're confident that it won't be found. The cause of death may have included Maddie to be very sleepy and have a fall. They have fears of being accused. He believes that the time frame needs to be questioned more and that there's a strong possibility of sexual abuse. That's something that we've not gone to in this podcast purely because we didn't really want to talk about it too, too much. But, mm. you know, I, I, I feel like um, they could, the parents could just have the guilt of neglecting their children and allowing Maddie to be taken by leaving the, the apartment. But I definitely think that there's guilt there. And I think that there's more to the story. And I think one way or another, we will find out soon. I think we will a hundred percent. I think yeah. we will get to the bottom and not, not we individually yeah. as, as, as a collective <laughs> go to port. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I think the truth will come out very soon. Right. I reckon hopefully. But yeah, um, but yeah, that concludes the first of our unsolved mysteries episodes. <clears throat> How do you think it went, lads? Amazing. It went pretty it well. Great. There's so many. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, let us know in the comments if you enjoyed this. What are your opinions? What do you think? Um, do of course do more research on this if it interests you. Uh, we'll leave some links in the description below. And um, make sure to subscribe to us, of course. Yeah. Subscribe, hit the bell Please. notifications. We will carry on with uh, this series of... Yeah, one thing I would add to that as well, actually, is if anyone has got any sort of mysteries that they want spoken about, then comment, let us know, and we'll look into it. Definitely. I think we've all loved researching this and talking about it and dissecting it. Class. This it's is a brilliant case, isn't it? Yeah, we've all... Uh, been fascinated by this case and this is something that really intrigues us looking at unsolved mysteries so as, as adam says if there is anything you want us to look at please do let us know 
Until next time, thank you very much for joining us in the men's room. Adam, thank you very much for taking part. No problem. Anytime. Zach, thank you very much for being here. No worries. Good stuff. Uh, as I say, until next time, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Real Men's Room. That's all from us. I'll catch you later. Bye. Bye.